0: Smart You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HT Smartcast. Hello and welcome to a special podcast series hosted by the Hindustan Times. 1947: The Road to Indian Independence. I'm Prashant Jha, a senior editor with the paper, and I'll take you through a fascinating story, a story that traces how India became one of the first few countries in Asia or Africa to attain independence from colonial rule. As we celebrate India at 75, it is a moment to look at the nation's post-Azadi journey. At Hindustan Times, through our special editions on politics, sport, popular culture, in our print edition, on our website, and through a selection of landmark articles from our very rich archives, we are attempting to do precisely that. But this is also a moment to look further back. August 15, 1947 marked a rupture. But what came after August 15 cannot be divorced from what happened before August 15. In this series, we take you back to 12 moments over 90 years between 1857 and 1947 in the lead up to Indian independence. The mutiny of 1857 often called India's first war of independence was unprecedented. Unprecedented in the manner in which Hindus and Muslims came together, princely rulers and common masses came together, and various parts of the country rebelled against the East India Company. The British succeeded in suppressing the mutiny. But Company Raj was over, and it gave way to the Raj of the Crown. To take us through this period, we'll be joined by William Darlemput, among the foremost historians of the Sepoy Mutiny. Two and a half decades later, the nationalist movement took another turn. The Indian National Congress had its first session in Bombay in December 1885. The British then saw the Congress as a safety valve to channel Indian nationalist aspirations without it assuming a radical form. Little did they know that this would be the organisation that became the primary vehicle to channel Indian aspirations for independence. Dinyar Patel, the accomplished biographer of Dada Bhai Naoroji, among the founders of the Indian National Congress, will join us to explain the founding of one of the world's premier political organizations. The early 20th century saw colonial rule intersect with India's social cleavages. The partition of Bengal in 1905 was an attempt by Lord Curzon the then Viceroy to implement the divide and rule strategy and deepen communal divisions in one of India's most important regions. It led to a nationalist upsurge. But 11 years after that, in 1916, in Lucknow, there was a rare attempt at Hindu-Muslim unity when the Indian National Congress and the All India Muslim League presented a set of common political demands to the British. That was preceded by the League and the Congress first agreeing on elements of minority representation. To discuss the partition, we will be joined by Bhashwati Mukherjee, a former Indian Foreign Service officer who has written an important book on the partition of Bengal and its implications. To discuss the Lucknow Pact and how Hindus and Muslims came together, Mridula Mukherjee, who has extensively written on the freedom struggle, will join us. Indeed, it was Mridula Mukherjee's book, co-authored with the dawn of modern Indian history, Bipin Chandra and Aditya Mukherjee that many of us read in high school and college to understand India's pre-1947 past. 1915 marks a decisive turn in the Indian freedom struggle. Mahatma Gandhi returned home. After honing his political philosophy and political practice in South Africa for close to two and a half decades, Gandhi returned with his new political vocabulary and new non-violent political methods to break through the partisan silos of moderates and extremists, Hindus and Muslims that had engulfed the nationalist struggle. With the Champaran Satyagraha in 1917, the Mahatma translated his principles into action. He forced the British Empire to retreat and he showed to the Indian masses what his technique was capable of. To take us through Gandhi's return to India and his first agitation, we'll be joined by his biographer, the great historian Rajmohan Gandhi. Rajmohan Gandhi, of course, has a unique vantage point. He's the Mahatma's grandson. But it would take the British years before they understood the change that was taking place in India's nationalist politics. They continued using the same tools of coercion and force. They introduced the Rowlett Act, in 1919 and then at Jallianwala Bagh in Amritsar in April 1919 engaged in one of the most brutal massacres that ever occurred during colonial rule. Jallianwala Bagh was an extreme manifestation of British repression, but it offers a window into that coercion that lay at the heart of the empire. To explain how the British sustained their rule and how they suppressed people, we will be joined by Durbo Ghosh, a historian. This repression on one side was colliding with nationalist aspirations on the other. The Mahatma was transforming the Indian National Congress from an elite-led, petition-giving, moderate outfit to a mass-based, agitational formation that was willing to challenge British rule. If Champaran had revealed the success of the Mahatma in a limited geographical setting, on a limited issue, the non-cooperation and Khilafat movement was his first national intervention in mass politics. The British were stunned. Gandhi was arrested. The Congress leadership and base was energized. But a violent incident in Chauri chora saw Gandhi withdraw the movement, for he had made it clear that ahimsa, the principle of non-violence, was non-negotiable. To understand the significance of the movement, the criticism that it faced, for weaving in the demand for the restoration of the caliphate in order to bring Muslims into the fold, and its abrupt end, historian Aditya Mukherjee will take us through the early 1920s. By the end of the 1920s, the Indian nationalist movement had hit a crossroad. In the face of British unwillingness to recognize the Indian right to self-rule and the emergence of a young, new generation of Indian nationalists under the mentorship of the Mahatma, the aim of the freedom movement shifted. India now wanted Purnaswaraj, complete independence. In Gujarat, the Mahatma was absorbing these changes and he recognised the need for a break from past methods of agitation. And that is when he came up with that iconic idea which would captivate Indian masters, capture the attention of the international media and shock the British. And that is when he came up with the Dandi March. A seemingly simple initiative meant to defy colonial salt tax laws. Little did the colonial rulers, or even Gandhi's colleagues, realize the power of what he had in mind. To discuss the march, Trideep Surud, among the finest Gandhian scholars of our current times, who not only understands Gandhi, but understands the connection between Gandhi and Gujarat, will join us and take us through those years of Gandhi's mobilizational techniques in Gujarat and beyond. The 1930s were also marked by attempts by the British to initiate a set of constitutional reforms. Remember, the round table conferences were held in London. The Mahatma participated in one of them. In 1935, the Government of India Act was introduced. And in 1937, provincial elections were held. Elections in which the Congress participated and Jawaharlal Nehru emerged as a true mass campaign. This period saw a shift from the agitational tenor of the nationalist movement to an attempt to transform the colonial apparatus from within and expand its power. To help us understand the act, remember the 1935 act is important because key elements of that act stayed on in independent India's constitution and the 1937 provincial elections. These elections are important because they gave Congress a taste of power for the first time but also deepened India's communal divisions. We'll be joined by Arvind Elangovan, an authority on the 1935 Act and its implications. In 1939, the Second World War broke out in Europe. India suddenly found itself as a participant country on behalf of the Allied powers. But there was a little problem. No Indian had been consulted. Indian nationalists were clear. They could not be expected to fight fascism abroad when at home the British weren't even willing to offer the promise of full independence after the war. Three years later, in one of the most powerful and evocative slogans of the freedom struggle, Gandhi declared, it was time for the British to quit India. To understand the roots of the movement, locate it within the context of the war and the nature and the impact of the movement, Srinath Raghavan, among India's most eminent historians and the author of a seminal book on India and the war, joins us. But if Gandhi represented one strand of the movement, by then, Netaji Subhash Chandra Bose represented another. The leader from Bengal had lost patience with the non-violent mode of agitation. For him, the Second World War represented an opportunity. An enemy's enemy, after all, could be a friend. Bose reached out to the Axis powers, Japan and Germany. He set up the Indian National Army, a truly inclusive force committed to Indian independence. And he was willing to collaborate with any power that would help him defeat the British Empire in India. To discuss Bose and his contested legacy, Sugata Bose, Netaji's biographer, his grand-nephew, a Harvard historian, and a former member of parliament will explain to us this period of India's nationalist struggle. The war was over in 1945. The British had won, but were irreversibly weakened given the destruction caused by six years of a bloody conflict, the bloodiest that the world had ever seen across Europe and the world. Within India, the nationalist movement had gained tempo. The formation of the INA and the subsequent INA trials, where top leaders defended INA officers, despite having disagreed with Netaji's methods, had created further fervour. The British were no longer sure whether they could rely on their coercive apparatus. And this was most visible in the Royal Indian Naval Mutiny of 1946. The mutiny, often underlooked in conventional historiography, shook the empire to its core, more for psychological than for political reasons. What was the mutiny? How did the British respond? How did nationalists respond? What effect did it have on triggering independence? Pramod Kapoor, historian, author of a book on the mutiny, and publisher of Roli Books, will take us through this final episode of the freedom struggle. India's freedom struggle is a story of evolution and revolution. It is a story of elite leadership and mass movements. It is a story of the most remarkable and successful non struggle in global history, wearing down the most powerful empire the world had ever seen through the power of truth. It is a story of repression and revolt. It is a story of failures and successes. It is a story of unity and, unfortunately, fragmentation. But fundamentally, it is a story, as Jawaharlal Nehru put it, of India's tryst with destiny where a nation long suppressed finally found its voice. In 90 years, through these 12 moments and the story of Azadi, I'll take you through the key episodes of India's freedom struggle, how it shaped India and how it finally led to independence. Stay with me as we take this journey together, we now turn to our first episode, the mutiny of 1857. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HT Smartcast.